0: Mr. Xavier Reese, with plenty of reasons for pause to give thanks. The believer gives thanks to God in everything
1: and at all times knowing he's good. The believer gives thanks to God in everything and at all times knowing he's in control. The believer gives thanks to God through everything and at all times knowing he has the best for me and mine. So I thank him through those difficult times because I came out more looking like him than me.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Although the fourth Thursday of November, Thanksgiving, is the one day most commonly thought of as the federal holiday celebrated by families gathered for turkey dinner, enjoying football, or even a parade, the Bible, however, commands believers in every culture, everywhere, to be giving thanks in everything at all times. But how realistic is it to be thankful to God for all things, good and bad? Well, Pastor Xavier assures us there's plenty of reason for a thankful heart in a special simple truth study drawn from 1 Thessalonians. Let's listen. The history of our nation
1: regarding thanksgiving is an incredible story that teaches us from the beginning of the establishment of our nation, it was to God that thanks was given for the lives and provisions of these individuals who came here. President George Washington issued in 1789 the first Presidential Thanksgiving Proclamation in honor of the new Constitution. We as leaders acknowledge the grace of God in the establishing of our nation. We are not saying that this nation was ever, at any time, a Christian nation completely but certainly it's founded on Christian principles and they are hammered and inscribed throughout our capital from its origin. The third president, Thomas Jefferson, discontinued it, calling Thanksgiving a kingly practice. Then in 1829, Mrs. Sarah Hale, the editor of the magazine Goddy Lady's Book, the author of the poem Mary Had a Little Lamb, with capital L, began campaigning for the restoration of Thanksgiving as a national holiday, but was politely rebuffed and told that it was impossible and impractical as well as being told it was none of her business. Then on October the 3rd of 1863, President Abraham Lincoln listened seriously to her plea that North and South lay aside enmities and strife on Thanksgiving Day. And he proclaimed the fourth Thursday of November as a national Thanksgiving Day. Then President Franklin D. Roosevelt in 1939 appointed the third Thursday of November to be the day. And finally in December of 1941, by joint resolution of Congress, and the President set the fourth Thursday of November as a national public holiday. Thanksgiving Day is to be a reflection on the goodness of God. That's what it means. Though people have fought it and tried to change it and whatever it is, and contort the true origin of it, that's what it is. Here in our text, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He is writing to the Thessalonians who have suffered much for the gospel, and yet he told them that they needed to be thankful to God, which consists of three things. First, the responsibility to be thankful. Secondly, the reason to be thankful. And then the right access to be thankful, the third and last part. The responsibility to be thankful comes first. Notice that the Apostle Paul commanded the Thessalonians to give thanks and everything give thanks. Paul knew that the believers were to be marked by a great appreciation of God. Any person who's ever been born again immediately knows and is aware of the goodness of God of what he has just done in their life. Because they just experienced the most incredible transformation in their life. Their eyes have been opened. They know their sins have been forgiven. And they know that God has saved them from the wrath to come. And that Jesus is coming for them. It can't get any better than that. And they know it. Automatically it makes you a thankful person. The tense of the phrase give thanks is the imperative, present, active in the plural. This is everybody's command, every believer, every generation, every part of the world, regardless of the culture throughout the church age. Now notice Paul never demanded anything he did not require of himself. This is a good principle for Christians. This is the third time Paul uses the word in the letter. The phrase give thanks means to be grateful and express gratitude, it's real simple. And he used it for himself, Silas and Timothy, to thank God For the Thessalonians. The first time he used it is in chapter 1, verse 2, where he says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. So he gives them the imperative command be thankful in everything, but yet he's given the evidence and demonstration of his own life. That's how he begins his letter, thanking God for the Thessalonians. The second time is in chapter 2, verse 13. He says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcome them not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively worked in you who believe. The second thing he thanked for, that they, they accepted God's word, and they agreed with God about his word, that it was God's divine revelation of the good news, not some philosophy, not some psychology, not some religion. Thank God for that. The act of being grateful to God is evidence of our attitude. It's manifested in our actions, but it's really it's an attitude of the heart. It's what's going on inside. It's what's the reality of my life. Giving thanks to God is unnatural for the natural man. Romans 1, 21, 2 Timothy 3.2. We give thanks when we're in the world or we don't know the Lord when it's convenient. And we really believe that people appreciate and deserve our thanks. As a non-believer, you thank God only if he answers you according to your prayers. But if it doesn't come through, you say, well, you know, I can't believe in a God like that. So you start shaping your own God in your own image. Your God's just a loving God. He doesn't judge anybody. He, he would never send someone to hell. So you, you, you shape and form your own God after your own image, your own likeness, and you're very comfortable in your life. Giving thanks to God reveals trust in His sovereignty, acknowledging his wisdom to live my life and to lead me in life. Because um, coming to faith is not a leap into the darkness. It's a step into the light. I came to know the Lord by the loss of my right eye through an accident. I used to have two eyes, and I was blind. I lost my right eye, and I got to see. My eyes were open to life completely by the grace of God. It's something that um, only God can do as we open our heart to agree with him. Notice the apostle Paul Communicated the extent of the giving thanks. The phrase Paul uses is in everything. The term means each, every, and all, and again, emphatic in the Greek. <laughs> everything? This is the 14th time it is used in the letter. Now, he will use the word four more times in chapter 5. This does not mean that in giving thanks to God in everything and every time that your child gets sick, you say, oh, thank you, God. No, that's not what we're talking about. We are able to thank God through the difficult times, not for the difficult times. And once we've gone through those difficult times by the hand of God, the direction of God, the empowerment of God, then I can look back and give thanks to God for those difficult times. But I don't, I don't thank him while I'm going through him. Very, very few times do I do that. But I trust him that he's sovereign. So I thank him through those difficult times. And then when I come out through his grace and he allows me to see the benefit, then I, I absolutely thank him for those difficult times. Because I came out more looking like him than me. And that's always good. First for me and certainly for others around me. The believer gives thanks to God in everything and at all times, knowing he's good. The believer gives thanks to God in everything and at all times, knowing he's in control. The believer gives thanks to God through everything and at all times, knowing he has the best for me and mine. The believer gives thanks to God in In and through everything at all times, knowing he is sufficient and able to turn what is intended for evil by some for good and to turn what appears very evil for his glory and his good. I don't know the process. I don't know how all that works. But I have so much evidence within the scriptures that I can trust him. Notice the command to give thanks and everything presupposes the ability to do so. The apostle preached the gospel to them. Listen, chapter 1, verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of man we were among you for your sake. So God empowered the men to go preach the gospel. Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was there to illuminate the Thessalonians, to reveal their sinfulness, to reveal their need of salvation. And then the Thessalonians had to make a decision. The Holy Spirit turned on the light and enabled them to agree with God and to repent of their sins, but did not make them repent from their sins. God forces no one to go to heaven. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ, you have all the right to go to hell. God will not force you to go to heaven. He certainly wouldn't like you to go to hell, but he's certainly not going to force you to go to heaven. Because for love to be meaningful and valuable, it must be voluntary. For God to be able to judge a person and cast them into eternal separation from him, that person has has to have a choice to reject God. If that person is not in heaven because God rejected him, then God's really responsible for the reason he's not in heaven, then God would be the author of, his, of that person's sin. God's absolutely holy, absolutely just, absolutely love. He can make no mistake. So if he's going to judge people and the verdict is going to be eternal separation, that individual has to have had an opportunity of their own free will to reject the offer of God. He and he alone is responsible for his destiny by the rejection of the gospel, not God. But Thessalonians were endowed with the word and the Holy Spirit. In chapter one, verse six, he says, and you became followers of us. And of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So as they agreed with God, they repented. God forgave them, made them them sons and daughters of God, endowed them with the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit enabled them to live out this life of a Christian. Because they decided for God. And at that point, they became very aware of their gratefulness to God. Immediately. They gave evidence of their transformed life in verse 7 of chapter 1 so that you became examples to all the Macedonians and Nicaea who believed. When I first became born again in 1973 and my brother and I, uh, we grew up in Ballon Park and uh, we knew a lot of people. A lot of people knew us uh, through the years and everything. And um, uh, we used to teach the martial arts and uh, had our Kung Fu studios and that. And um, when, when people heard that we were born again <laughs> they just watched they just looked but we just started ministering the gospel through our kung fu studios back in Ballpark park high school and god just poured out his spirit and young people came we'd go at brunch time and preach the gospel we had bible studies uh and and and, and uh, literally hundreds and, and and thousands through the years came to the lord you know when the prodigal son returned he was so thankful to his father that he received him that he said, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. Make me one of your servants. Wow. You know that you know what you've been saved from. You know that you know that you don't deserve that salvation. And you know that you know that you've been forgiven. Wow. How can you not be thankful? The simple fact that God saved me should be enough for me to give thanks to God every day. And that's all he did. And did nothing else for me the rest of my life. I'm a billion ahead. That alone. That I thank God for the acknowledgement and wisdom. Or the knowledge and wisdom that he imparts me every day to live my life out. To work through the issues of life and to be progressing and learning. I have to be careful that I don't think it's because I'm so smart. It's by the grace of God. It's because he's part of my life now and he influences me and he directs me and he guides me through his word and he 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 has me with a lot of other people who are born again and they're a great example for me and they pray for me and and they they are wise people and they counsel me and they I learn from them, they learn from me, and it's just God's wisdom, his goodness. That I'm healthy, I have a job, I have a home, I have a family, I have grandkids. I live in the greatest country in the world well what did I do to deserve that for God's patience and loving kindness towards me and my disobedience and my pride at times for the great friends and relationships in the Lord that he's given valuable to live life and walk through life with so many of you through the years amazing Mickey was just in high school when we started 32 years ago. Psalm 106 one says, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Man, amazing. The responsibility to be thankful, listen carefully, is a command. Hopefully that command is embraced by you and I joyfully and don't see it as a command at all but an incredible responsibility. Secondly, he gives us the reason to be thankful. The apostle Paul declared this was the will of God. The will of God does not have the article here in the Greek. This indicates that all three commands are the will of God, not just giving of thanks, but the two that follow. Do not quench the spirit in 19. Do not despise prophecies in verse 20. These three are not exhaustive of all the will of God, is what it's indicating. The will of God extends to all areas of our life. The will of God is found from Genesis to Revelation. The will of God is the good desire and pleasure of God for His children. The will of God is found in the Word of God, not in emotions, not in circumstance, not in situations, not in secret and mystical knowledge. The word "will" is the revelation of His mind, His purposes for the saints. Translated, "will," desire or pleasure, throughout the New Testament. That which is best for our lives, that which keeps us from problems and destruction, which helps us be steered to the minefield of life, not an emotional experience, not on the latest fads of the church, not in the newest Christian book, not in hearing the latest famous speaker that's the new golden calf on the block. The will of God can only be known by a child of God. In fact, all these things must be judged by the word of God to be in agreement that it's the will of God. The will of God is contrary to the ways of man. Man is in rebellion against God and an enemy of God by sheer fallenness. Man has no capacity to obey God as a natural man. Before we were Christians, you and I were self willed, self centered, and self confident. Man has a capacity to obey only. Once he is born again. Being given a divine nature to escape the corruption of the world. As Second Peter 2 or Second Peter 1, 3 through 4 says. Nevertheless, though I'm born again and have this new divine nature. I still have a sin nature within me. Warfare goes on. I must reckon the old man dead. He is reckoned by faith when I'm born again, Romans 6.6, and I must reckon I'm dead daily, Romans 6.11. There's a warfare that goes on. The old Xavier, the natural man, he's as funky as ever. He has not gotten one iota better in 39 years. The new Xavier, the new man, he's doing fine. He's strong. But there's a warfare that goes on. And every morning I get up, I decide who's going to win by who I feed the most. Simple. Having the capacity to please and obey God, I alone make the decision for that moment, for that hour, for that day, whether I will or not. Again, God gives me that free will. He doesn't force me. Because he's looking for the evidence of my love. That's what he's looking for. Not that he doesn't know it, but he wants me to know it. The reference to God is the Father, notice. Theos, first person of the Trinity. He's the one who planned out the salvation and redemption for the lost. He is the one who suffered tremendously by sacrificing his only son for all the world. John 3.16 John 3.16 and sometimes we forget of what the father went through, or we don't even consider it. If you're a father, you know that rather than to see your son suffer or experience pain, you would rather take his place, hands down. But the father didn't do that. He's the one who placed his son as the propitiation for our sins and not ours alone, but the whole world, First John 2, 2 said. His motive was love. What saved us was the sacrifice of his life. His love couldn't save us alone. His life became the propitiation, that which satisfied the wrath of God. He justified me in his death. And by his resurrection, he made the payment of my sin. Second Corinthians 5:21 says, "He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him." Now who do you think got the best deal? <laughs> Me or God. God became sin, I became him, like him. God has a plurality of persons, yet one God. God the Father is God, possessing all the attributes of deity. God the Son is God, also possessing all the attributes of deity but limited himself for a set time in the Incarnation, yet continued to be God. But he did everything as man, depending on God. As the first Adam, he's called the last Adam. God the Holy Spirit is God equally possessing all the attributes of the first two persons. And as a representative of Jesus, he never speaks of himself, he never glorifies himself. He only brings back the words of Jesus and turns on the light to those words. That's his responsibility. The Father is the source, the Son is the channel, and the Holy Spirit is the agent. Oh, how I thank God for the three persons of the Godhead, each doing their part for my
0: salvation. Pastor Xavier Reese, drawing the simple truths of a thankful heart from a study of 1 Thessalonians 5.18 today. Now, we've had to pause only partway through this message. And if your schedule won't permit you to tune in next time for the conclusion, as always, you can pick up a copy of this study. And the title you want to ask for is simply, A Thankful Heart. It's available on CD for just $4. And make sure you pass on this study to a friend in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is, A Thankful Heart. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing... 91107 And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese.